Welcome to China Insider, a podcast from Hudson Institute's China Center. It's Tuesday, July twenty-fifth. I'm Shane Leary, Program Manager of the China Center at Hudson Institute, and I'm sitting down with Senior Fellow and our Center's Director, Miles Yu. We have three topics for this week. The first are the new efforts from China's National Development Reform Commission to stimulate China's non-state economic sector and attempt to court much-needed capital as their economy falters. The second is a historic and peculiar visit from Henry Kissinger to Beijing, in which he met personally with Xi Jinping. And the third is the recent accidental damage to the. PRC's consulate in Odessa, Ukraine, during a Russian missile strike. Miles, how are you? Very good, Shane. Wonderful. So,、uh, for our first topic, as we've talked about for some time, China's economy has been struggling immensely since COVID, and more generally as a result of the unpredictable and unsafe business environment the Chinese Communist Party has cultivated through its own policy. It seems like they're trying to correct that now with the party unveiling new measures to revitalize China's private sector. These are coming out of the National Development and Reform Commission. Among dozens of new policies, they claim this will include strengthening protection rights and incentivizing and opening up investment in key industries. After announcing this, a rare symposium occurred in Beijing with more than 30 global venture capital and private equity firms, including executives from、uh, Blackstone and the Carlyle Group, among others, being courted in an attempt to bring capital into the country. Miles, what do you make of this? Could you tell us about these new measures and the role of the National Development Reform Commission? First of all,、uh, uh, private sector. This is a,、uh, a misnomer. In China, there is no constitutionally guaranteed. Private ownership uh, of property. Um, uh, I prefer the phrase、uh, non-state sector. Having said that, for nearly three years, Xi Jinping has been on overdrive to cracking down on the non-state sector in China. The non-state sector actually has been the、uh, primary、uh, drive of China's economic growth. Almost 100 percent of China's economic growth in the last several decades have come from. This non-state sector, which supports the parasitic、uh, state-owned enterprise and a huge、uh, state bureaucracy, so right now because of uh, uh, COVID uh, uh, national lockdowns, millions of businesses are,、uh, are 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 closed. So、uh, the Chinese Communist Party began to panic. Uh, because、um, that caused a huge unemployment uh, uh, population in China, which basically is a time bomb.、Um, on top of that,、uh, China has been、uh, substantially reduced its share of global trade volume. Uh, so uh, uh, that basically caused an even bigger problem for China, not only in terms of revenue、uh, generation, but also、uh, caused a lot of.、Uh, Uh, unemployment as well because many foreign companies were leaving China right now. So that's why last week the Chinese government, government in a very desperate move, issued、uh, something called thirty-one uh, uh, notices uh, or thirty-one new policies, trying to sort of you know assure the, the confidence of the non-state sectors、uh, to urge them to open up business again, to urge them to start hiring again. This is all very, very、uh, futile because the same day the thirty-one notices were issued, the stock market tanked <laughs> in, in both in Hong Kong and the Chinese uh, uh, stock market exchanges inside、uh, the country. So uh, uh, m- 
most people do not have confidence uh, in uh, China's new promises as well, because uh, it's all about uh, investment confidence, and also uh, confidence comes uh, with the credibility of the party. The party has very little co- uh, credibility left. It sounds like, from what you're saying, there are sort of structurally within within the People's Republic of China. Barring fundamental changes, we're not going to see a move towards economic liberalization. But they might be trying to do that in the short term to save their economy. What do you say to people who would say that this is evidence of economic liberalization in China, and that this is maybe an indication that they're not really buying the ideology they're selling, and we shouldn't think of them as sincerely communist? The Chinese Communist Party drives、uh, domestic policies. Particularly, economic policies. Right now, there is unprecedented centralization of the economic decision-making power, not through state council, but in the Chinese Communist Party Central Committee.、Uh, so,、uh, Xi Jinping、uh, runs all the economic、uh, policies in China, and that really does not really uh, uh, increase confidence. It's not just、uh, unemployment; it's just people in China just give up trying even to to find a good job. So on July seventeenth, the Chinese government issued the official unemployment data. In June, China's uh, uh, youth, sixteen、uh, to twenty-four, their unemployment unemployment rate officially is twenty-one point three percent. That is very very high, but that definitely is actually a watered-down estimate. At the same day, when the Chinese National Statistics Bureau issued that 21.3 unemployment number, there's a professor, economics professor from Beijing University, Professor Zhang, published an article, and that according to this professor's estimate, in March of this year, China's youth unemployment actually could reach 46.5 percent. Wow. That is、uh, much higher than then publicly published uh, uh, number of nineteen point seven percent. So, I don't think that has really changed that much because most people just give up trying. Young people, I mean, this is a, a problem. Another problem、uh, that's aggravated the, the Chinese economic、uh, situation is really China's global share of trade. You know, the U.S. Commerce just published uh, uh, a new、uh, data last week. It says、uh, in the first five months. Of 2023, China's export to the United States has dropped by 25 percent year to year compared to the year before, and that basically uh, uh, accounts for only 13.4 percent of U.S. entire import share. This is a 19-year low.、Uh, Mexico, Canada、uh, have surpassed、uh, China as the、uh, as number one and number two trading partner. This also means that、uh, a lot of uh, uh, unemployment for China. So the economic situation in China is very dire. I don't think China、uh, has issued any new policy that would change the institutional structure of Chinese economy. China is still a non-market economy; is a command economy. So、uh, that nature is not uh, uh, changed, and I don't see. Any future of China's economic revival in a very substantial way. Moving on to our next topic, last week we talked about the March 2023 phone call with Biden and Xi Jinping, and your concern that the U.S. is on the verge of remaking what you see as the mistakes of the Nixon administration in our relationship with China. 
that is ceding fundamental strategic objectives and ideological differences for the sake of cooperation on narrow issues. Now, Henry Kissinger, the architect behind the Nixon administration's strategy towards China and the historic normalization of U.S.-China relations in 1971, is back in China. Kissinger, 100 years old today as he made this visit, did not take cabinet-level meetings as Blinken, Yellen, and Kerry have in the past weeks. Instead, Kissinger met with Xi Jinping himself. This seems to be like certainly a historic moment, and we've seen some optimism come out of these recent meetings, uh, but especially with this one, with some outlets framing this as the red carpet being rolled out for an old friend. I have a couple questions for you regarding this visit, but first, let me ask you the most obvious one. You've told us before on this show that we have to understand Kissinger as a fixer. What do you expect out of this visit, and is there a way in which he can fix the problem of U.S.-China relations as it stands right now? Mr. Kissinger was a great fixer during the Nixon administration. That was more than 50 years ago. Uh, Kissinger's trip to China last week was nothing but uh, senior abuse by the Chinese Communist Party. This, this man is over 100 years old. He's very frail. China used him as a prop for one purpose, one purpose only. That is to snob the Biden administration, to humiliate the Biden administration because when Kissinger was in China, being treated with the red carpet and grandiose reception by Xi Jinping himself, presidential envoy on climate Kerry is in China. <laughs> he was basically languished in oblivion almost. This was a well-designed effort by the Chinese Communist Party to send a message uh, in coordination with this uh, 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 very coordinated uh, uh, Wall Street uh, lobbying campaign to basically, you know, uh, to urge the administration to ease up on China and uh, to basically appease China. Um, if you, you can see this, uh, following Henry Kissinger, the former Secretary of, 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 uh, of uh, Treasury, uh, Hank Paulson, uh, sends along uh, basically the same thing. And in the meantime, uh, senior executives of seven Silicon Valley tech firms came to Washington, D.C. to lobby for uh, less strict enforcement of export control uh, ban on the PRC. Uh, this is a very, very similar tactic that China has been using for decades. That is to exploit the divisiveness of the American society, play one side against another to reach its own goal. By the way, it's not just on the U.S. Uh, last week, Xi Jinping also did a number on the Philippines uh, because the Filipino government uh, under President uh, uh, Marcos has strengthened its ties with the United States, has toughened up its uh, uh, stance on China's unreasonable and ridiculous uh, claim of uh, South China Sea. And uh, Xi Jinping is not very happy with the Filipino government right now. So what he did, he invited former government, uh, former president of, of Philippines, Duterte, to, uh, to China, treat him with, with, with the extravaganza. Uh, so uh, I'd send a message to, to, to President Marcos in, in the Philippines right now. Uh, it's always the same game, and uh, it's always well coordinated. So, um, and I think you know, uh, 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 people in the know should clear our, uh, clear eyes on all this uh, uh, machination. You just sort of laid out this visit from the Chinese perspective. How do you understand Kissinger's role right now in relation to the White House? Uh, do you believe he's acting in a perfectly private and unofficial capacity, or was there some coordination there? I don't think there is any substantial coordination. As I say, you know, China treated Henry Kissinger like the uh, the lost brother that used to found. I mean, to humiliate it by demonstration. And I've heard some remarks from the White House uh, uh, to express their displeasure. 
China always does this. I mean, in the past, there's always opportunistic Americans、uh, who try to sort of uh, uh, establish a second channel and to、uh, sort of upend official. Policy of the U.S. government, and you can see this in not only the China policy, in North Korean policy too. I mean, Jimmy Carter,、uh, you know, Bill Richardson in the past, they always uh, uh, do something that's very, very detrimental to U.S.、Uh, sovereign policy, and I think that actually、um, is not good for America. So, as, as a last question, what effect do you think this might have on the Biden administration's policy?、Um, last week, you know, it sounded like maybe we were. Starting to begin to see a, a sort of a shift already、uh, in the Biden administration's disposition towards the PRC. Do you think this is going to have a meaningful effect、uh, or or change the tide in any way? I hope not. I don't think it's going to have a meaningful uh, uh, impact. I mean the、uh, the 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 prime time for、uh, lobbyists like、uh, Mr. Henry Kissinger is long gone. I mean it didn't work in the last administration. I don't think it has. Any substantial impact on the current administration as well, because there is a bipartisan consensus on the China threat. There is a partisan consensus on、uh, the modality、uh, through which China conducted its business with the United States. So, which is not really that you know sanguine, that really、uh, good. This idea、uh, of resorting to uh, uh, a civilian channel. And uh, to uh, resort to some kind of secret diplomacy uh, uh, to change American's national policy,、uh, the time is different now. I mean, there is a much more democratic participation in American's foreign policy formulation than ever before. So the Congress, the、uh, the NGOs, and and I might say also the think tanks, they play a very important role nowadays. For our last topic. I'd like to turn our attention to the war in Ukraine. This past week, Russia accidentally damaged the PRC consulate in Odessa during a missile strike.、Uh, what has been the reaction inside China to this,、uh, and how serious do you think this is in terms of potential friction and possibly pushing the boundaries of the so-called No Limits Partnership between Russia and China? China's official stance on the war in Ukraine domestically is a hundred percent one-sided. It's a pro-Russia, and it's pro-Putin.、Uh, so China uh, uses a、uh, uh, monopoly on、uh, information、uh, to find a a fanatic pro-Russia sentiment domestically. So when the Chinese consulate in Odessa was damaged,、uh, there has been sort of a collective silence. Uh, it's a muted response to this issue. The only official report was just a factual report by the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson,、uh, uh, who said, "You know,、uh, our consulate in Odessa uh, was uh, uh, impacted by a bombing nearby.、Uh, windows and, and the doors were shattered, and that's it." Without any sort of a, a protest or complaint or condemnation of this act,、uh, this is a kind of a, a very embarrassing、uh, to a lot of people inside China who are now thinking otherwise.、Um, this is also is in sheer contrast to the、uh, 1999 accidental bombing of a Chinese、uh, embassy in Belgrade during the、uh, uh, the Kosovo War. So.、Uh, The, the the difference is that at the time 
China used that incident uh, and to sort of manufacture a huge anti-American campaign. Uh, uh, and also differences is in this case of Odessa bombing, the Chinese uh, personnel have been completely evacuated. Nobody stayed there. In the 1999 embassy bombing in Belgrade, in the heat of the war, where missiles and cannons were flying all over the place, the Chinese embassy maintained almost fully staffed. So what the heck were they doing there? So uh, this is a very, very uh, interesting um, uh, contrast. So this kind of reaction uh, by the Chinese government toward the uh, Odessa consulate bombing reflects China's state policy, which is very pro-Russia. And they're embarrassed, but they don't want to say anything in protest. I think this gives us another opportunity to discuss what is really a complicated relationship uh, that doesn't get enough attention. That is the curious position of Ukraine between Russia and China. Today, we're inclined to think of Russia and China as committed partners, and we're very concerned about the PRC potentially assisting Russia in its war against Ukraine. What sort of falls out of our mind, which you've talked about, is that in reality, Russia and China are old enemies and new friends, but Ukraine and China um, actually do have a, a longstanding partnership, uh, particularly before the war, with Ukraine having played an integral role in modernizing the PLA. Is this bizarre strategic triangle between the three countries being strained? Uh, I'm just curious, how do you see Ukraine-China uh, relations playing out in the long run as this war continues? I'm all for Ukrainians' heroic effort fighting against uh, unprovoked aggression from Russia. And I think uh, uh, Mr. Zelensky has been an incredible leader. But there is this kind of a very promiscuous legacy of very promiscuous relationship between Kyiv and, and, and Beijing that goes back uh, more than 20 years. U Ukrainians have been providing China with all kinds of uh, Russian design, uh, modern weapon um, items, uh, from aircraft carrier to, uh, to missile technology, to uh, heavy uh, uh, bomber uh, engines, and to amphibious landing crafts. Uh, so uh, Ukrainians have try to be uh, opportunistic, uh, even today, to cultivate a relationship with China, uh, almost oblivious to the fact that China has decidedly uh, been on side of, of Moscow. So, um, and uh, um, in this, constant, in this uh, uh, incident alone, in Odessa bombing, for example, Russia's primary tactical objective is to destroy the port facilities that would handle the grain export. Russia's bombing of Odessa destroyed 60,000 tons of agricultural products that uh, uh, has been intended for shipment to China. Uh, so even at this stage, uh, there is a substantial sort of uh, uh, illusions um, in Kiev about uh, China's positive role in, uh, in, uh, in the region. And I think, you know, China has uh, um, been manipulating this relationship, this part of the legacy, trying to sort of uh, uh, be opportunistic, try to promise Ukrainians uh, uh, in post-war reconstruction. Um, but again, I think that's just a, a, a very foolish policy on part of Ukraine. Well, Miles, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and uh, look forward to speaking to you next week. Okay, see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The China Insider, a podcast from the China Center at Hudson Institute. We appreciate Hudson for making this podcast possible. 
Follow Miles and all of the additional great work we do at Hudson.org. Please remember to rate and review this podcast, and we'll see you next time on The China Insider.